Praise Jesus. You can be seated. You can be seated. It's good to be home again. It's been a lot of years since I've been here. And we were in the other side, I think. Is that right? But it's awesome. I just want to say thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for just being here. Thank you for being willing to take our place and to become a substitute lamb. Thank you for shedding your blood to make a way into the Holy of Holies. Thank you for tearing the veil so that we could dwell in the presence of our Father and see him face to face. Thank you for counting us worthy to be your children and loving us before we ever loved you. Thank you for calling us by name, for giving us an, a new identity, to give us a new destiny. Thank you that you work in us to will and do the will of the Father. And thank you that you didn't leave us as orphans, but you gave us your spirit, precious Holy Spirit, to be in us at all times, in all places, fully possessing the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ to do the works you've called us to do, to finish strong the race that is ahead of us, to arise as a glorious and a victorious bride, even when deep darkness may cover the earth, you arise within us and upon us with the glory of heaven and the glory of God. Thank you for just being here. We love you dearly. We love you dearly. Dear Father, precious Jesus, sweet Holy Spirit, we love you. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Yuri and Amanda. When we were sitting last night, God put something in my heart and spoke a word to me. I didn't share it to you last night, but I felt this strongly, and maybe it's where you've walked as a body, but God has taken you from Hebrews 12, shaking into the shaking of Haggai. And the Hebrews 12 shaking that he's been doing in the body of Christ in us individually but corporately is the shaking so that whatever is not of him will fall off. Anything that's not of the flesh, anything that's self of the past, anything that has any, any mixture or even any incapability falls off. Because Paul said, when I am weak, then am I strong. In my inability, his ability shows up. And the shaking of Hebrews 12, he didn't stop there. But I believe that the shaking of the Hebrews 12 leads us into the shaking of the Haggai. The book of Haggai, where the Lord says, I'm stirring your heart to rebuild my house, a dwelling place for the living God, a habitation so that I can live and move and be amongst you. And I'm going to stir up the hearts of the people to come and join you. And as you build for me a house, yes, a house of prayer, but a habitation of the Most High God, 
that I can do what is in the heart of God to do. I feel like that's the first Samuel 235 that he says, I'm going to raise a priesthood to do what's in my heart to do. And that as that happens and he does that, he says, and I'm going to shake nations. And I'm going to bring in the gold and the silver. And I'm going to bring in the wealth of the nations and the latter glory of the house will be greater than the former. And in this place, I will give peace. All of those promises came from a shaking. So he moves his bride from the shaking of Hebrews 12. And that just was downloaded so strong in my heart as I was listening to you and Amanda talk about your journey. But God has brought you to the shaking of Haggai too. So expect the latter glory. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And as we were worshiping, I felt the Lord, he just downloaded to my spirit so heavily. He said, as, as you mentioned the word, Amanda, last night, it's a new era. It's a new season. It's a new dispensation. He's taking us from glory to glory, from faith to faith. We remember not the former things, Isaiah says. They've already come to pass. They're finished in their fulfillment. Now, he said, look for something new. And it's going to spring up as waters out of the wilderness. And it won't resemble the old thing. It, the, the, latter, the latter glory is going to so far surpass the former glory that there won't be even a resemblance of it. We don't know what it'll look like. Because as he said to Joshua, you've never been this way before. You don't even know where you're going. But you're asking to see what you've never seen. Go where you've never gone and do what you've never done. Because that's what he wants to do. He's about new things and possessing new territories. And so as we were worshiping this morning and I felt the brooding, the brooding of the Holy Spirit over the bride. He said in my new, in my new season, in my new thing. He said, I'm going to raise an army of the bride of Christ that has been spirit birthed. For what is born of the spirit is spirit. Galatians says, what is born of the flesh is flesh. John 3 says that also. Spirit birthed and spirit led. As many as are led of the spirit are the sons of God. Romans 8, 14, spirit-filled. Ephesians says, be filled with the Spirit, singing to yourselves in songs and melodies and spiritual songs. Be continually filled and overflowing. Spirit-empowered, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you to do the greater works that he's called us to do. Not even the same works, but the greater works. With spirit culture, which he brings kingdom culture, and those are the gifts. And the empowerment that he talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 of the gifts, and then the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5 is spirit culture. He produces in us when he abides love, joy, peace, patience. 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. He produces the kingdom character in us where he abides. And then spiritual exploits for those that know their God will do great exploits in Daniel 9. And then he will spiritually conceive in us. And I believe where we have been compromised, he will now fill it with conception. He's going to bring together what has been divided in the heart of man. As David said, unite my heart to fear your name. We can't be united as the bride until our hearts are united. Unite my heart. To fear your name. And he's going to bring where there's been compromise, confusion, or complacency, a new conception. And I saw again what I've been watching God do in South Sudan as the Holy Spirit brooded over Mary. A humble, hungry, Pure, holy, little lady. In the brooding of the spirit. In the overshadowing of his spirit, as Luke 1 says, he conceives. And worship is a journey into the heart of God. To where we are so overshadowed. By only him. And the Holy Spirit can drop within our spiritual womb the DNA of God. And that means the DNA of the flesh and your natural heritage is gone. For what is born of the spirit within you is spirit. There was no mixture of man in that seed. There was no mixture of human lineage. The pure seed of God was dropped in a bride to conceive his vision and to become enlarged with it. Pregnant with the vision of God Dropped in your spirit by the overshadowing of his precious Holy Spirit. You carry not only his DNA, but the living vision that he has to be birthed through his bride. He could have just plopped Jesus down on the earth and said, you're 30 years old now, go for it. You got three years to do the work. But he chose to start in a womb. He chose to start with conception. He chose to start with something that seemed as nothing to man. The humblest place to be birthed is where he still births. And God is birthing his children, a new breed, on battlefields and birthing zones. And I believe what he is 
he is doing here is an overshadowing of conception. And it's going to be a place of birthing. And that birthing of the spirit is going to now bring a regeneration of another movement and another, another generation that's going to be birthed through the bride, the spiritual womb of the bride that is conceived, the vision of God, been enlarged by it, pregnant by it, until you can't carry it anymore. You have to give birth. And sons and daughters being birthed to glory happen because fathers and mothers have been conceiving the vision of God and becoming enlarged and uncomfortable with it. Right before birth, I mean, you're, you're not comfortable. You can't sit. There's a restlessness. Rebecca was pregnant with two nations within her womb. And the conception of God is bigger than you can even conceive with your mind. It is being enlarged by something that's bigger than you. It's the purposes and plans of God. And they're always about something else. They're always about others, people, cities, communities, nations. Nations were in the womb of Rebecca. But they have to be birthed. And in that birthing, God says, Isaiah 54, your sons and daughters, your spiritual children will be taught by God. There's going to be a birthing of sons and daughters, and they're going to know Abba, Father, and the, and the teaching of God, the, the voice of the Spirit. John 14 and John 16 says, the Spirit of God will lead you into truth. There's deception on every side. But the sons and daughters that are being birthed in this day are going to be those taught by God. Isaiah 54 says that John 14, John 16 1 John 2, the anointing that abides within you will teach you all things. Spiritual birthing of children for the manifestation of the sons of God. In Hebrews, it talks of that. And then he said in Isaiah 8, 18, your sons are for signs and wonders in the land. Wow. What is born of spirit is spirit. What's born of the flesh is flesh. But the generation the Lord wants to birth and the work he wants to birth has no mixture of human in it. And it is for signs and wonders in the land. Isaiah 8.18 That is the brooding and the overshadowing that happens as we linger in worship. From within the holy of holies, the Lord conceives. And he conceives in us new vision, new revelation, new direction. Until we are enlarged by the DNA of God for the purposes of God. And we bring, bring to birth. As Jeremiah 31, 15 says, Rachel was weeping for her children. 
And she refused to be comforted. Meaning we can choose to be comfortable or we can choose to give birth. She refused to be comfortable. I've got kids. And they're out there somewhere. Loving his kids as much as we love ours. Who are they? He said, in Romans 9, I'm calling her my beloved. I'm already calling her. She may have a red dot on her forehead or would be wearing a burqa. That's my beloved. She just doesn't know it yet. Who will go tell her? Romans 9, 25. I'm calling her my bride. But they're out there in addiction and bondage and traditions of men. They just don't know it yet. But I'm already calling them that. Weeping for her children as Lamentations 2.19 says, get up in the night and cry out for a generation that's been killed at the head of every street because they are no more. Fill our wombs again, Lord. And it says she refused to be comforted. But then in verse 16 of Jeremiah 31, it says, it's okay, Rachel, now. You can stop crying out, your children are coming home. They're coming home. She went from the travail of the bride to the delivering of a generation and a nation. He said in, in Psalms 2.8, ask me for a nation and a heathen is your inheritance. And I always say that servants ask him for supplies, but sons ask him for cities. And what he owns, we are heirs to. He already paid for them in full. Every city, every community, every state, every county, and every nation. Paid in full by the blood. Calling them his bride, but they don't know it yet. In the bondages of tradition. And Matthew 15 says we've hold, held our traditions above his words. Even the rhema, living word, and becoming pregnant with it because of the bondages of our traditions. But God's birthing a bride. Spiritually born and spiritually freed, for whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. And she will give birth, reproducing after her kind. He will not use a prostitute to produce his children. He's after a lover to bear kids with. Spiritual children. You know why? Somebody in love with the king loves what he loves and is going to love his kids no matter what they look like and who they are. As I've been sharing in different states across America and, and in South Sudan, and I'll tell you, the move of God that's happening, we have to prepare the net to contain the fish and the harvest if we're asking him for revival. We're in revival, but there's much more. And if we're asking him for that kind of an increase, we better have our net ready. 
and the house prepared. In the Welch revival, the leaders of that revival said, we had such a move of God in those days, but we lost it because we didn't have leaders trained to keep the fish. If a thousand came in today, broken with a addiction and identity crisis and all kinds, revival looks like a train wreck. That's what it is. It's a train wreck. Are we prepared to disciple and see them freed and healed and go right down an assembly line to take them from light to leadership? We're watching God turn mercenaries into missionaries in about two months' time. Murderers into missionaries. Now, they're being discipled still, but they're already winning souls like crazy. That's how fast, because two words he's saying to the body of Christ today are accelerate and multiply. I believe that strongly. And he spoke it to us in 2020 from Africa as we were in three weeks of prayer and fasting. Accelerate and multiply. First, when I went over there, it was strategy and mobilize. Everything you do, multiply yourself. Mobilize people. Come, I'll mentor you. I'll train you. I'm going to go. Pray for people to be delivered or healed or whatever. Come on, let's go. And we go together. Mobilize. Strategies for cities. We get out maps. And we look at this whole region. We say, God, you paid for the blood of Jesus for this nation of South Sudan. Where do you want us to start? How do you want us to move in? Everything David did, he inquired of the Lord. So there was three words as I was praying for you even this morning. And God dropped them very, very clear on my heart. From my room, as I pray, was praying for you, he said, get into the gaze of God, get into the heart of God, and get into the move of God. And I heard that just real clearly. And I'm going to give you some scriptures with those. Get into the gaze of God, get into the heart of God, and get into the move of God. I'll preface it by saying 20 years ago, when I first went to Africa and said, Send me where no one wants to go, and I'll die there for you. Because it is no difference to me whether you use me in life or in death. Do you know when we said yes to be a follower of Jesus Christ, we signed up for life or death? We already chose to deny ourselves. Take up our cross, might cost us something, and follow him anywhere, anytime, to anyone, to do anything. No bargaining. No benefits promised. We're getting them in heaven for sure. He didn't, dis he didn't discuss retirement with them. Where am I going to sleep? When am I going to get paid? Disciples, drop your nets. Come on, let's go. No discussion about retirement. How are you going to take care of me? What are the conditions? Unconditional surrender means you've given up the last word. You have, there's no rights left. I'm not my own. I'm bought with a price. 
And those disciples didn't need to discuss retirement anyway because they all went to heaven early. So it doesn't matter if he takes us early or leaves us late. That's his business. So when we say yes to the Lord in absolute surrender, that's when you become a terror to the enemy because he cannot kill a dead man. You become known in hell. Oh, no, there they come again. They're afraid of nothing. They're here to kick the doors of hell in and, and pull them out by, of the flames. Jude 23 says, pull them out of the fire. So I always tell our guys, smell your fist. If it doesn't sm smell like smoke, you're not living close enough to hell. Get closer. Come on, we got fires to pull them out of. Amen? And so 20 years ago, just started with a little bit of prayer. Now God is taking prayer movements. People visit us all the time over there, short term and whatever, and they've said, this isn't a denomination. This isn't a church. This isn't an organization. I said, well, what is it? And they said, movement. It's a movement. And I realized God is taking mission fields and turning them into mission forces. And that's exactly what he wants to do with the body of Christ. Bring you in, raise you up from light, and, and send you out in leadership and authority and dominion of the Spirit of God. That when you walk into a room, God has just walked in. When we're doing the outdoor crusades there, and we've had over a million people, we've said on the posters, come dead or alive, God, Jesus is coming to town. We don't put any name. We don't have any church, no organization. Jesus is coming to town. Because when you walk in, he does, right? You set the atmosphere of a place. And Jesus didn't have a problem with dead or alive. So God is bringing the lost to him faster than we can count them. We have five to 6,000 a month from eight nations and over 700 missionaries fully supported in the field that are bringing five to 6,000 a month to Jesus with discipleship. I call that revival. Hallelujah. Praise Jesus. We can't keep up with the documentation. Terry runs Uganda for me, and she was just reading another. I mean, it just pours in all day, every day, from the women empowerment to the street kids. God said, turn the murderers into mur missionaries, prostitutes into preachers. He's doing that very rapidly now, but getting them grounded firmly. They're multiplying fruit that produces fruit. And she's checking the field updates and posting them. Takes a couple hours a day. There's so many from the nations. And she said, oh, look, 200 more just got saved today. The Catholics are watching what God's doing through the women. God's blessing the women in the next village through the women empowerment and causing them to prosper, healing their trauma, equipping their hands. And now they're going from glory to glory, business to business, because God's grace is on them. And they're learning about giving financially. They're living, learning about sewing. These are little villages. Women in poverty. We're in 50 to 60 of them now. And so the next village season, the Catholic Church goes, God's moving like that? 200 of them come over and just get saved. 
two days ago. And then somebody else's a devil gets cast out of him. He's pretty demon-possessed. 58 people in the village get saved. Because the lunatic is now dressed in his right mind and joined the Bible school. And this is happening within 24 hours. They're coming out of the addiction. Now we train and send the missionaries into Arabic-speaking nations. And we're in Chad and Darfur and Khartoum and Central Africa and Ethiopia and Sudan and Northern Kenya and Congo and Uganda. And we're going into Somalia. And, our, and the goal is, God, give us more territory. Give us more land. We do spiritual mapping led by the Spirit. What are you saying over these regions? If the bride does not advance into darkness, we will never take territory. Amen? But he's called us. He's called us to take territory for the kingdom. He's called us to enlarge borders. You, will, you look up that word, enlarge. Isaiah 54, stretch out your stakes, lengthen your cords, you know, increase the place of your territory. It's in Isaiah 49. It's all through the word. Deuteronomy 9, he says to Israel, you're going to go and possess nations stronger. You're going to go and dispossess nation stronger and mightier than you. That means he's called us the bride of Christ, led by the Spirit, empowered by him, fully yielded, fully possessed. And when he groans to give birth to us, Romans 8, 26, he's going to give birth to generations and nations that he's taking you into, not by might or power, but by the Spirit, to dispossess them. That means displace them. That means move in on top of them, and then God has to move out. So when we're doing spiritual mapping and praying, we say, God, where's the bloodiest areas? Where's the naked headhunters? Where's the warriors? Where's the unreached people groups? Where has UN and U.S. Embassy said is off limits? That's exactly where we're going. And I don't ask them, by the way. I ju we just go. And they go, you didn't just go there, did you? Those roads are closed. World Food Program people were just slaughtered. And there was a huge ambush. I said, yeah, I know. I know that happens. But I said, they didn't ask, they didn't ask the government. And they didn't check the news or the budget in the book of Acts. <laughs> they didn't check the weather. They checked with the Holy Spirit. And it looks like there were times they were stoned and left for dead. And they got back up and went right back in the same city. Letter of the Spirit. And you know, in, the, in many of our traditions and denominations, we have grieved the Holy Spirit and quenched. In Ephesians and Thessalonians, those are two things he said, don't do. Don't grieve him. Don't quench him. We need him to fulfill the calling and the purposes of God. And we need the salve that he's going to put on our eyes from Revelations 3.18 to see the hope of our calling, Ephesians 1.18. If we can't see by the Spirit, What's the destiny? What's the enlarged borders you have for us? What's the, what's the conception that you want to grow within me and use each life for? We need the salve upon our eyes. We need the veil lifted. So when, when he said these three words, get into the gaze of God, let me just say what that looks like. John 4.23 says, he's looking. He's looking for those to worship in spirit and in truth. And I believe this morning he found that. He's looking. 
And then it says in 2 Chronicles 16, 9, the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro across the earth, looking. Where are they? Where are those whose hearts are loyal and faithful to the calling, to my leading, so that I can show myself strong on their behalf? And then he's looking in Luke 15. For the one that is left home. He said the 99 are here. They don't, they don't need help right now. They're okay. I'm going after the one that left home. I'm going after the prodigal. I'm going after the one tribe. The one nation. The one family member. That's out of the fold. And if that's what he's looking for. That's what I want to look for. Because I want to be in his boat. I don't ask him to get in mind. I want to be where he's going. I want to get in line with what he's looking for. Matthew 24, 14, this gospel should be preached to all nations and then the coming of the Lord. He's looking for that. And then in Luke 19, he's looking at our cities and he's weeping. What's he weeping for when he sees this community? What would he be seeing and weeping for? I want to get in line with that so that we can be so Holy Spirit filled and Holy Spirit empowered and equipped that we're birthing the children that he longs still to be birthed in the kingdom. So get in the gaze of God. And then he said, get in the heart of God. When we fight battles, and I'm going to tell you a couple of stories. I just want to build your faith. But when we fight spiritual warfare battles, and I teach a lot on spiritual warfare because you know why? We live in war zones. And you know what? In America, we live in war zones. It doesn't look like, I'm in Africa, we're, we're kind of used to war. There's another tribal war, there's another this war, there's that war, there's overthrowing, you know, regimes of terrorism and, and that kind of thing. There's battle after battle. Here we have the same devils. They just wear different clothes. Human sacrifices are going on in America. There's bloody war zones. Abduction going on right out of our living room. Into trafficking, pornography, occult from the internet, right in our living rooms. More babies murdered than in an African genocide in what we call abortion clinics, slaughtering houses. And God says, have we been advancing? If all we've done is stand still to guard our territory, the enemy has never stops advancing. The best weapon in spiritual warfare is offense. The best weapon, go get them. If the devil hit us from one side, we go, he's going to pay. He's going to pay for that. We're going to go take another whole territory. And exactly we do because it says in Corinthians that if Satan had known that he was killing the Lord of glory and he's going to rise with resurrection power and empower a whole multitude of millions in every generation, the devil regretted that he even crucified him. Well, we're going to make the devil regret he's ever touched us. And so we do. We look at territories. Where are you leading, God? Give us another. Give us another region. And, and we go in. So get in the gaze of God. And then get in the heart of God. John 1.18 says that Jesus came from the bosom of the Father. And it says in John 14, I'm preparing a place for you. Well, you know, I don't believe that just going to mean when I get to heaven. We can live inside the heart of God right now. Because Colossians 3.3 says, you're hidden with Christ inside of God. 
We fight from Psalm 91. And when I say spiritual warfare, I say know your God, know your weapons, know your position in him, know your enemy, know your battle, and know your victory. And I could teach a week on each one of those and sometimes do. And that's fighting the fight of faith to advance the kingdom of God. So when we're on our, our knees for three weeks praying and fasting and we go in, we just plunder the goods. Because you can't spoil the goods unless the strong man is bound. Matthew 15. The strong man must be bound. Look at Esther. Look at Daniel 9 and 10. The strong man must be bound. And you go in and spoil the goods. So we live in the heart of God. And that's our protection. He conceals us. And when we do things as a body, you know what? The corporate anointing is in Isaiah 65, 8. The new wine is in the cluster. He gets all the glory for it. We call it a, an army of termites. We don't have to be elephants. An elephant comes stomping into a place and shakes the ground and makes a lot of noise and breaks the branches and knocks a few things down and then he's out of there. He's just passing through. But an army of termites has an assignment. They're going after a foundation and they come in from every direction. I don't know where they come from. And they're hard to blow up. And they come in underground, nameless, faceless, a whole army of them. They come in from underground, and they begin eating away at the foundations of evil. And all of a sudden, evil structures begin to fall, and nobody quite knows who did it. How did that happen? And then they move on to the next one. They don't need any glory, and they don't need any credit. So I said to our African, I was just doing a missionary training there, 240 Arabic-speaking missionaries that were engaging, activating, sending, two by two, into all these nations, all these tribes, where there's bloodshed, where there's war, where there's terrorism, where they're held at gunpoint. I go there, too, and I've been in ambushes and at gunpoint, and even recently, and that's exactly where we go. And I said, Paul said, whether I live or die, let Christ be preached. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. So anyway, I was saying to them, I said, so you all want to be an elephant or you want to be termites? I said, God had Hittites, Perizzites, Canaanites, whatever. I said, but he's got termites too. Who wants to be termites? Well, every hand went up. We want to be, we want to be termites for the kingdom of God. We don't need the credit of the glory. We just want to see systems of evil begin to crumble. So as we pray the Lord down for revival, there's also the pushing back of darkness. We're going to advance. Even in our cities, I teach spiritual mapping. Find the darkest region and darkest places and go in and start taking prayer. Movements of prayer. Prayer walks. Houses of prayer, set up light in the midst of that darkness, and God will begin to give you territories. So know, get in the gaze of God, get in the bosom of God, and then get in the move of God. And God's moving, again, like I said, by His Spirit. He's finding those that are born of the Spirit. And they want to see the manifestation of the Spirit. Not by might or power, Zechariah 4 says, by my Spirit, I'm going to do it. Exploits by my Spirit. And who will do what is in my heart and my mind to do. And he's got sheep that are not yet in the fold. He said that in John 10. I got them out there. They're not yet here. What are, what are you doing about it? Do you know that in the parable of the talents, 
in, 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 the, in the book of Luke, he, he gave one talent to one, five to another, ten to another, right? And to the one that was faithful, he said, you've, been, you've done really good. Now I'm going to make you ruler over ten cities in Luke 19. Why did he say ten cities? I think he was faithful with one city. Will God give us ten regions if we're not faithful with one? So God's about expanding territory. That's what he's about. That's his business. So getting over there 20 years ago and just setting up prayer. I won't say just because that's the most important thing you can ever do. We begin with prayer. We live by prayer. We go by prayer. It's our foundation and it's our covering. It's the cloud of glory ahead of us, fire by night, the pillar, and, and, it, and it follows us, the glory of God. And so we're praying. God gives us strategies. People start pouring into the mission house. The war stops. And, and, and all of a sudden, you've got an army. Help me reach my people. And God, I said, how do I do this, God? And he said, if you want the kingdom of God to grow, begin taking grave clothes off of people. God will call them out of their graves like he did Lazarus. But now you've got to unwrap the grave clothes. It's one thing to be alive. It's another thing to be all bound up. And you can't run. So he said, whoever's standing there by the tomb of Lazarus, he said, somebody loosen so Lazarus can run again. Doesn't matter how long they're dead. Get, God gets his armies out of caves and out of graves. And David got his out of caves. They were fearful, vagabonds, and in debt. And they came. God will use you when you're available. Here we are. Use us. And the, and the graves were Ezekiel 37, just dry bones. And so God started bringing them in. He said, unwrap their grave clothes. The healing and the destiny of the land is within the people. It's within the heart you're going to bring in. It's within the outcasts and the broken. Do you know that our greatest evangelists are those that a month ago or a month before were agents for Satanism? And when they have radical encounters with Jesus, it's like, i got to get them off the streets. i got to get out there. we got to win them. I said, okay, but we're going with you. And you're going to get discipled as you go. And they're in discipleship classes, but they're winning. They're the most radical evangelists. So in sending up an adult army, so to speak, men and women going to the nations and training them, all of a sudden we had this revival amongst the kids. And the agent that had been working for the enemy to take me out for five years gets radically born again, has an encounter with the Lord at our house of prayer. And he said, I tried to take you out. I came into the house. There was a price on my head. I didn't know that. And I said, well, why didn't you just do it? He said, I couldn't get near you. He broke in the house many times. Things were stolen and whatnot. And I thought, somebody is breaking in. So I added dogs and guards. And finally, I'm getting up and praying every night. And he said, when he got saved, he came and confessed. He said, well, that was me that broke in. I said, well, why didn't you? What did you come to do? I came to kill you. Why? I said, why didn't you just do it? He said, I couldn't touch you. You were surrounded by this bright, blinding light that looked like a wall of fire. Hallelujah. And you know what promise God gave me when I step into darkness and I'm going to obey you? I said, give me one promise. Zechariah 2.5, I will be a wall of fire around about you and the glory of God in the midst of you. His promises are yes and amen. And he's faithful. And so instead of taking me out, that man has a 
radical encounter with Jesus Christ, falls on the floor, completely delivered. And that's another story. It was a mass deliverance. And then he says, I've got to get, I got to go get him. I got to go get him. They're on the streets. He knew all the gangsters. He was doing human sacrifices for, for 10 years. And the guy's only 20. 10 years. He'd been abducted. And he's doing human sacrifices and, 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 and raising in his demonic authority level. And so he says, I got to go get him. I got to go get him. He won seven people to Jesus this first week of salvation. And then after that, like unstoppable. And one night he comes to me and he says, I'm going after the strong man. And I said, okay, what does that look like? He said, I've studied the people of influence on the dark side. And he said, I already know who they are, but I know where they live now. And I know their names. And each one of them has 100 or 200 that answer to them. They're the gang leaders. They're the killers. They stab. They kill. They kill with pipes. They're wanted by the police in and out of prison. They run sex houses and trafficking places. And they're all over the streets. They're rampant because these are youth that's been raised up during a war. 62 years of civil war in South Sudan. Everybody has an AK-47. And these kids are just running youth now. And they're... They're, they're hardened criminals and in the occult. And so, so this young man, radically saved, he's become a son in the home, been through Bible school. He comes back and he says, i got to get him out. i got to get him out. I said, okay. He said, you, you pray and fast with me for three weeks. So we did. Every time we go into a new area, we fast and pray for three weeks. It doesn't have to be three weeks. There's nothing magical about that number, but Daniel did for a nation. And we're all about that. Isn't it wonderful that God said, thank God you didn't stop after 20 days. It took me that long to bind the principality, the power of the air over Greece and Persia. Gabriel did. And then he sent Michael. Took him that long. But Daniel's intercession caused war in the heavenlies. And I pray today that our intercession will open up war in the heavenlies at a new level. We'll activate heaven. To begin battling over the harvest and the spoil that Jesus has paid for in full. So that we will obey and go get them. Just go get them. Just bring them in. It's not four months away. It's now. And so when he asked me, get the house of prayer mobilized. We fasted and prayed three weeks. He said, okay, now tonight I'm getting out. I'm going out. You guys pray all night. We knew it was dangerous. I said, you want us, somebody to go with you? No, I got to go alone. So we, because he knew if somebody's going to be killed, let me, let me go to heaven now and let me go alone. Okay. So we're on our knees and he knows exactly where these leaders work, the, the alleys, the work they do, the what. You got to know evil if you're going to win it. You got to know, I'll tell you, World War II is a different kind of military tactics than fighting terrorism. You ask the government. They're studying, they're studying the enemy's plans in a new dimension. How do we fight terrorism, suicide bombers and everything? How do we do that? It's different than World War II. A coach that has an opponent that's going to play a national football game, he goes and studies how the opposing team plays before he even plays them. The Bible says don't be ignorant of the devil's wiles. We don't focus on it. We don't meditate on it. But I'm sure aware how he works. And we know the army and the battle we're going into, but not without first inquiring of the Lord, as David did. And so he said, you be on your knees all night. So we are. He goes up to the killer who's got a dagger. And it takes him two to three nights to just talk. Wait a minute. Don't hurt me. I've been where you are. Just trust me. Well, the guy thinks that, that Cosmos is going to turn him into the police. 
He said, no, I'm not. Third night, the guy drops his dagger and drops to his knees and receives the Jesus that's transformed Cosmos' life. I want him too. And then Cosmos says this. If your relationship, if, you, if your encounter with the Lord has been real, then I need you to come out in the open to the house of prayer tomorrow. And I need you to bring all of them with you that are under your authority. So they call me and they say, get lunch ready. We're going to have 50 to 100 come for first day. So he got lunch ready. I said, who's coming? He said, all the criminals and murderers in town that, he, that can come in. I said, okay, bring them. I called the police and I said, don't you dare show up. I said, you stay home. I said, I know they're all on your wanted list. But I said, they're coming into the house of God. They're going to be transformed by God. They're going to have an account of, of God. And they're going to come out as instruments of transformation. And you let the process happen. And don't you touch them. And I said, and if they leave that process and go back out onto the streets, then you can go get them if you want. And I gave them those orders. And they listened to me. <laughs> and I was, they listened to me. I said, okay, okay, we'll do it. Is it because, I mean, what else are you going to do with all these criminals? They don't have room in the prisons for them. And God's given us authority. When I walk in to the office of governors and I'll say, would you please get on your knees? I'm, I'm here in your, in, your, in your state, in South Sudan. I'm going to pray for you. Seven-foot Dinka guy, big old man, 84 wives, witch doctors running out of his ears, human sacrifices. He gets on his knees in his office, and he lets me lay hands on him and pray. He didn't receive Jesus then, but he saw the move of God amongst his people, one million people. And so he can't deny it. But God has given you the authority over darkness. And so when I said that to the police, I said, okay, okay. And here they all come. They come in at noon, and we start with salvation. And when people have salvation encounters, you've got deliverance going on. It looks like 50 people in grand mal seizures. Have you ever seen a grand mal seizure? I mean, you usually restrain them. One or two men sometimes. They're strong. About 50 of them. And they're just like that, just setting off. Setting. And boy, our team is all hands on deck, just getting them free. Getting, like the little boy in Matthew 17 threw himself into the fire. And the, and the disciples couldn't cast out the devil. Jesus said, this kind comes not out except by prayer and fasting. And so, or, or the naked man in the graveyard. And God cast out legion from him. And so you can see this all through the word. Everything in the book of Acts we've seen. From the dead rays, when we put those posters up, yeah, they come. And God raises the dead. He's caused rain when there's been drought. All kinds of, every miracle in the book of Acts. We walk in it because we expect it. You know what expecting means? Expecting God from your, it means you're expectant. You're expectant. Don't you say, even a mother, uh, she, she's an expectant lady, woman. That means she's pregnant, right? When we're expectant, we're already enlarged for God to do by faith. What we ask him and expect him to do because he said he would. And he loves showing up. On Mount Carmel, we call every single encounter with darkness a Mount Carmel showdown. God loves to show up where faith is. And so these 50 guys walk in, and so there's salvation, and they're confronted with, with, with the message of the gospel. The devil doesn't like it. Then there's all this setting free and deliverance that goes on. And then we start trauma healing, forgiveness. Forgiveness. God's got to mend the brokenhearted. And then we start discipleship for a couple hours. Last thing, after they've been there three or four hours, they get a, they get a meal. Come back tomorrow. 
And they did this. 50 of them got saved the first two days, about 50. 50 of them got saved. Next few days, 50 more come. We got 100. We baptized 100 at a time. We just baptized 100 more just another month ago. And you know who's giving birth to the next wave of another 100 from the streets? The ones that have just been saved for two months. They're on the floor travailing. The prophetic was flowing. We're under our tents having another three weeks of prayer and fasting, which is very common for us as a ministry. Bring everybody in. And there's some guys way out there in the field up in Chad and whatever. We're saying, you let them go. We're going to have a prayer meeting here. And we'll have a couple hundred of our staff there in a prayer meeting. Because we've got over 700 missionaries and then some base staff. I don't know. It's probably eight or 900 if we counted all the countries. And so we're in a three-week prayer meeting. And the kids newly saved from the streets. We call them our gift kids. God's Institute for Transformation. And God said, turn the murderers into missionaries. Turn the prostitutes into preachers and prayer warriors. And they come in and they say, can we pray and fast too? We, we want to join you all. And so they're there for the three weeks of prayer and fasting. The girls are on their faces, travailing, weeping. 12, 13, 14-year-old girls weeping. I knew that. I said, this God, I feel like a midwife in a delivery room. We got 20 people delivering at the same time, travailing. Weeping for another generation still lost. And when God finished that movement in those three weeks, about a hundred more kids came in in less than a month. And I knew that they had given birth. We can't spoil the goods of the enemy until the strong man is bound. So another time we're praying and fasting, God enlarged territory. And so when we say that, we go in. Now, there was murders on this road on a daily basis. And I'll go right into it and go right through it. And sometimes we're on our knees and we send a team when they won't let me go. If they're going to go two days by foot up through the jungle to find the naked warring tribe up in the mountains bordering Ethiopia. And you have to walk through lions and hyenas that are worse danger than the crossfire of bullets. And they'll say, you stay back praying and fasting because we don't know what we're going to find up there. But other times I go in and lead the way, and I got a team with me. So I'm in the car, and then I'm sitting in the back seat, and the team's in the front. One of our team, team guys is driving. I, I often drive the Land Cruisers when we're on long roads like that. And, and we're driving on the road that every day there's an ambush. And the way they do ambushes is the rebels jump out of the bush, and they... They usually take the, a vehicle off. They either shoot it full of bullets, AK-47, so they take it off course, and they do raping, and then murder, looting the car, and then burning the vehicle, all of the above. And this happens almost every day on those roads. So we're praying, and we pray and fast for a week, three days, a week, two weeks, three, three weeks, whatever the Lord says, before we ever enter territories, ever. We're going into areas of pitch black darkness, but we're going into the light. No fear. By the way, God can't use you when there's any fear. The Holy Spirit's got a lot to show us, teach us, bring us, and do through us. But we got to let go because he will not share control. And if we're afraid of letting go and acting foolish and doing foolish and being led where he wants to take us and it's not going to be very comfortable, we won't let go. And he can't have control unless we've let go. Fear. Fear of the past. 
Fear of the unknown. Fear of the future. Fear of man's opinions. All kinds of fear. Fear will paralyze you. And fear will keep you from the promised land. They kept Israel after 40 years from entering their promise. So when I'm first going into these war zones, I said, oh, God. I was fighting fear, looking for guerrilla war, jump out and mow you down. He said, I can't use you in fear. I said, well, I'm obeying you. I said, give me more faith. He said, you don't need any more faith. You're moving. Going by myself, but you're moving. I said, well, what do I need? He said, you don't have enough love. You don't have enough love. If you knew that I held you and everything is father filtered, if you knew that life and death are in my hands and nobody can touch you until it's your time to go, if you knew that I've already died and redeemed for tribes and regions that you're going into, that no other man will go, everybody's leaving and you're going in. He said, and you love them more than your own life. You would understand John 15, greater love has no man than this, and he lay his life down. He said, you don't have enough love. And I said in that car, baptize me in love. According to 1 John 4.18, fear has torment, torture, fear of any kind, fear of a diagnosis, fear. Perfect love casts out fear. That's his word. He baptized me in love that day. I've never had fear since. So this particular day, we're in the vehicle. We fasted and prayed, and we're going right in, going right through. People say, why don't you fly there in a little missionary plane? I said, if we don't go on the roads, who's going to blow all the devils off? I said, we're going on the roads. I gotta blow, we're going to blow the devils off so that the next people can keep coming, and it can be safe again. So we get in the car, and we begin spiritual warfare and pray. And I don't care if it's three-hour drive, eight-hour drive, 16-hour drive. You don't stop praying and reading the Word of God out loud for eight hours. Out loud. And so we start on that. And all of a sudden, when we get to the border, and they said, you're not going any farther until you get in a military convoy. And I said, what does that look like? Well, that was a, a military vehicle in the front and military in the back, and you've got to stay in a whole line of vehicles. And he said, uh, you've got to stay in this convoy till you get there. Well, I heard about the convoys. If a convoy, you don't ever stop. Change a tire, use a restaurant, you don't stop. And so we're in a convoy. And about an hour into it, we're praying. The convoy stops. And there's about 20 cars with military at the front, military at the back. And I knew this wasn't a good thing. And our drivers were in the front. I'm sitting in the back seat. And in a few seconds, here come two big, burly, seven-foot guys with, dressed in uniform because they put on the military uniform when they kill the soldiers. So you don't know if they're rebels or uniform. I knew by their faces, and I knew what they were doing. And they jumped in on either side of me in the back seat, slammed the door, and they said, we're your escort now. You do exactly as we say. And they told the driver, get off course. And I knew exactly what they were going to do. Those are the led of the spirit of the sons of God. I had just a couple seconds to say, God, what do I do? And the Bibles that we carry, we never go anywhere without the word and reading the word and praying the word. I grabbed one of those Bibles. The guy on the left had picked out his pistol, put it on his lap. He had his AK-47 between his knee, and he pulled out a string of bullets from his pocket. He's rolling them around in his hand, and he's getting ready to do his work off-road. 
And the other guy, the same thing. He had his, his AK-47. I got the word of God. I grabbed that thing. I whipped around to that guy on my left just like that. I just waved it in his face. I said, I'm so glad you're in the car with me today. I said, you're here by appointment. I said, do you know what this is? And I said, do you know, do you know, do you know what's in it? I said, what is your name, buddy? And I just started. I asked him so many questions. He's dumbfounded. And he's taken back for a second. He's absolutely off, caught off guard. And I remember David acted like a madman that saved his life in the Old Testament. But anyway, I wasn't even thinking about that. I was thinking, I'm not going to give the guy a second to think about another thing. And if I go to, home, if I go to heaven right now, I'm going to go happy. And so, and, and so I'm waving this thing in his face. He said, Jacob, a joke. I said, Jacob. I said, Jacob, do you know what? I said, do you know your name is in this book? I said, do you know who Jacob was? Do you know who his dad was? Do you know who his grandfather was? Do you know who his kids were? Jacob was a great man. Let me tell you about Jacob. Well, I started with Genesis. Because I needed a lot of time. We had about a four-hour drive in front of us. And so I started with Genesis. And I went through every single Bible story that I could think of. All the way from Genesis to Revelations. And I talked 90 miles an hour. This level of voice. I had their undivided attention. I hardly took a breath. And I don't even know where the time went. Three and a half, four hours later. And I'm watching our driver get right back on course. And we're in the convoy. And these guys are sitting spellbound. It's the power of God's word, Romans 1.16, and his salvation. And every once in a while, Jacob would say, well, why'd they do that? Well, what was that for? Well, how come they acted like that? I mean, he's like a little kid grasping every word of the story. When I got to 1 John, and I'm talking about walking in light as he is in the light, and we can forgive one another. And we have peace. And I said, that's who Jesus is. I'd gone through the salvation message too. But I wasn't going to stop with the salvation message because we had another hour ahead of us. And I didn't, I, I'm going I'm to keep on going all the way to Revelation and to time it just right. And so when I got to 1 John, and he says, he says, well, I think that's what our nation needs, isn't it? Walking in the light as he's in the light. And there'll be no darkness in you. I said, yes, Jacob. And I'm almost the one to start crying. Then. I said, that's exactly what the nation needs. I said, that's why I'm here. And then he kind of jerks into reality and he says, why are you here? I was going to kill you. And I said, I know you were. I said, but I'm here because I have something stronger than death. And his name is Jesus. And I said, and your whole nation needs him. And he's after you, Jacob. That's why he brought you into my car. As we pulled to our destination, both of these men received the Lord Jesus Christ into their hearts. Yes, the power of God's word. And I took that Bible and I said, Jacob, I'm going to give this to you. And he grabbed that. You know, family, we don't know the power really of God's word. But it's only powerful when it's applied. Not just information, but application brings transformation. He grabbed that word like I'd given him a million dollars. And he gripped it to his heart and he said, this is mine. And I said to him, on one condition. Now he had just received Jesus. I said, you have to read it every day as if your life depends on it. And then you have to tell somebody every day what you read. 
And he said, I'll do it. I promise. I said, you know what that makes you, Jacob? A missionary. God has turned you from a murderer into a missionary in three hours. And he said, will you come to my village? I said, you bet I will. Today we're in his village planting churches, holding Bible schools, as well as 200 other locations. There's a book, a whole lot more stories. But I want us to go into prayer. And if the worship team could worship again, I know we've probably gone on over a little bit. We'll be sharing in the Bible school this afternoon. If you want your spiritual womb filled, I just want to ask you to just get under the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit and say, fill my womb with the DNA and the vision of God. I want to give birth to your purposes.